Well, hey there. It's, it's good to be here. I, as some of you don't know this, but I actually haven't been here for the last couple weeks, and that wasn't necessarily planned. And so I just want to let you know, uh, it's great to be here. It's great to see you actually in person this week. Uh, we had a lot of people check in on us, call us, uh, support us, pray for us while our family was sick. And so I just really appreciate that. Really appreciated Neil Wheeler coming in a couple Sundays ago and preaching uh, for me. Uh, he did an amazing job, had a great, uh, great topic, great, uh, great content with that. If you, have, if you missed that a couple weeks ago, make sure you go check it out very timely um, in thinking about the opportunity that God has given us to disciple and share the gospel regardless of what else might be going on in the world. Uh, absolutely thank you to Chip for filling in for me next week as well and uh, really, really enjoy and glad to be here, especially to be able to finally finish the book of James. Uh, we were supposed to do this a few weeks ago and we didn't get a chance get a chance to do that, but I was bound and determined, hey, we are going to do this. And hopefully you've spent some time over the last few weeks, you've read through James. James is one of the more direct, practical application letters in the New Testament where, you know, we, we just look and see what it looks like for faith to work. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really excited about this morning is how well the mic worked, even without a sound check. I wasn't here for a normal sound check this morning because I was picking up barbecue for right after service. And uh, I just want to let you know, it's from a local place that's like a mile from my house, which is kind of dangerous. And it's, it's amazing. So make sure you plan and stick, stick around, even if you uh, had already planned on doing something else for lunch. You, you're going to want to stay here. Uh, but anyway, we've been talking about what it looks like for faith to work in our lives. James says, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the big statements in the letter of James is that faith without works is dead. And so what does that mean? Well, it means that faith is not just an intellectual pursuit. It's not something we just believe. It's something that we put into practice. It's a rule of life. It means practicing what Jesus models and scripture teaches. And so we started off, we talked about that. We talked about wisdom. James talks about what it looks like to put wisdom into practice. Contrary to pop culture, wisdom does not come from within. And then we spew it out. Wisdom comes and develops from what we take in, choose to take in, and what we pour out uh, to others. In James chapter 3, and this is going to be uh, instructive for what we talk about this morning, uh, James says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And then third, a few weeks ago, we looked at what James has to say about the tongue and not just the body part, but what we actually do with it and the participation it has with us speaking and the words that we use and how when we're left to our own devices or our tongue's own devices, you know, we just kind of spit things out. Our, our words are capable of inflicting great pain, but even so, they are redeemable if we model our speech after the character of Jesus. It's it's through speech that we share the goodness of the gospel of Jesus as we back up that speech with our actions. So today we're finishing up our series, and we're doing this with another major theme of James. If you've been with us through the series, you know we haven't gone through every single verse, which is why I encourage everybody to kind of read the text, but we're looking at major themes. And the major theme that we're talking about today is super practical. It's in James chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bible. It's something that we all deal with on some level. Maybe regularly. Hopefully not, hopefully not daily, but maybe weekly, uh, at least monthly. And whether you're passive or you're gentle or you just try to avoid people all, all together, I'm sure none of us are like that, uh, you are going to deal with this. And if you are aggressive, you have a quick temper, or finally 
attuned sense of justice and rightness like me, uh, or if you really just care about anything at all, at some point you are going to find yourselves in conflict. And this is what James has to say about it. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, condemns them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's a pretty heavy passage. And James, like most of his letter, he doesn't pull any punches. He's very direct. And he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't kind of go along with the whole thing. Sometimes we tend to act like this or, say, you know, occasionally. He said, no, you are like this and you do this, you do this. And he's not just pointing the finger at other people. He's saying this is, as human beings, this is kind of what we do. This is our default in these issues. It's so easy to think that other people are the problem. And so when we read that passage and we hear the you, I, I, I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to think about them, <laughs> you know, so, somebody else. It's like, oh, man, I know, I know somebody who needs to read that passage. <laughs> and when he says, you, me? Yes, he's talking to you and me. And this matters because we're all susceptible to the domino effect that James outlines as he talks about why we fight and why we quarrel and what happens as a result. So I did some interpretive work on verse 1. Here's what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And maybe, maybe you're not sure exactly what James is getting at here, so I kind of distilled it down for us uh, this morning. And so this is what James says in verse 1. Why do you fight? Because you're selfish. That's it. Like, oh, well, thank, thanks a lot. No, no, I'm not selfish. Like, I'm, when I fight, it's because, it's because I'm right. Because I, I know there's, there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer, and I need to, you know, the, I, I need to go for the right thing. Like, that, that's, that's the thing. Uh, may, maybe. Let, let's, let's keep going. You know, James says you're selfish, so you kill. Well, may, maybe not literally, um, I'm assuming. Not, not literally. Uh, but certainly we have our, with our words and with our actions and with our anger and maybe in, in our hearts and minds, we've certainly done that in fights and quarrels. You're jealous, so you fight, so you fight, James says. You don't have because you ignore God, and that's what causes a lot of the problem. And when you do ask, it's out of selfishness. And James says this causes a lot of the tension, a lot of the conflict that we find ourselves in in life. 
And then the contrast throughout the rest of the passage is friendship with the world versus friendship with God. How we operate when we fight, when we quarrel, when we're not getting what we want because of our selfish motives. You know, this is, this is the position that it puts ourselves in. And most of the time, when we're in the middle of an argument, when we're a fight and a quarrel and stuff, we're, we're not thinking about, well, how is this, you know, fitting in with my relationship with God? No, we're thinking about, how can I beat this person? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, how do I prove that I'm right and they're wrong? Maybe you've never connected all these pieces that come together, perhaps, you know, shatter more aptly when we have the wrong motivation when we fight. Maybe you feel offended by that idea. No, it's, it's not because I'm selfish. You know, I'm fighting for myself. I'm fighting for justice. To be honest, I used to really enjoy arguing with people. Some of you that know me really well can... You can appreciate that. Um, you can ask Renee <laughs> whether or not it's still true uh, about, about me or maybe uh, some, some really close friends. Because I care about what's right, and I care about what's wrong, and I often want to put things exclusively in those categories. Also, I just want to be right, and I want to win. I'm competitive, all right? I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest, right? And while they still exist, like right and wrong still exist, I found that my willingness to engage on that basis alone has waned because people are so scattered on their philosophy of life and worldview that it can be difficult to find a consistent foundation from which to build a discussion that leads somewhere productive. Some of you know what I mean because you're on social media and you know what it's like you know, to talk with somebody and you're really just kind of shouting out into the ether and not producing anything productive. Now, this doesn't mean I have any less strong opinions or any less strong uh, convictions when it comes to things that are essential. What it does mean is that when it comes to what we fight about, understanding our motivation goes a long way to impacting the outcome of the quarrel that we're in. And while we might not be able to dictate and determine how things are going to end when that fight is over, we do have a lot to say when it comes to our motivation, when it comes to our selfishness, um, that impacts our side of that. We all know when we're in a fight. Sometimes we don't know when it's coming. I mean, sometimes the attack comes out of nowhere. We can be caught off guard. But we can all tell when it's going down. I, I don't know if you're like this, but for me, it's the adrenaline starts to pump. You know, the blood rushes to the head. Uh, you know that fight or flight response. And, and in that moment, we have a choice to make. And I say in that moment, but really it's a choice that we need to make way before we even get there. And we've got to decide, what does a win look like when we're in a fight? What does winning a fight look like to you? Growing up, I would uh, spend a couple of weeks out of the summer with my grandparents, and my granddaddy would watch boxing. I think most of the time it was on, like, Friday nights, a lot more regularly than it is now. Um, And uh, I would hang out with him, and he had a little den TV room, and we'd sit there, and we would watch boxing. I mean, that was the only time I ever watched boxing. And... um, it was really clear and obvious most of the time when somebody won. How do you know? Because one of them's on the ground and not, not getting up, right? I mean, it's, it's really obvious what a win is in the fight. Of course, boxing has its own issues with, with that. Now, when we're talking about a fight here, we're not necessarily talking about a physical altercation, okay? If we get to that point, um, we, we've, probably, we've probably lost, depending on the situation. I mean, you're defending yourself or somebody else. I mean, that's, that's something different. However, in boxing, somebody ending up on the ground and not getting up and that being the win for the other person, that is a, an agreed-upon ending and win for the fight before it starts. I don't know if you ever, ever thought about that. but they, they agree. They sign up for that. But when we're fighting or we're quarreling with someone else, we're in an argument, that's not the agreement. The agreement isn't that, well, if you knock me out, 
I'm done, and I concede, and everything's good, and we move on with our life. I mean, that's, that's not what happens at all. But a lot of times, that fight-or-flight response, the adrenaline, the blood rush, and stuff like that, that's, that's what we're going for. That's what we're headed to, and that's why James used such strong language as he describes this through the passage. And that's why if, we, um, if and when we don't do this right, we can have permanent damage to the relationships that we're in when these fights and quarrels come up. And since we can't control the other person, especially because the other person might not share the same philosophy or worldview, they might not be a Christian, and even not every Christian, I don't know if you've noticed this, but not every Christian acts like Jesus and puts their faith faith into practice, we've got to decide what our goal is before we ever get into the heat of the battle. It doesn't mean that we can't get heated or we can't feel passionate about the things that God has called us to. We just need a godly goal and a Jesus based motivation when we are in that place. So we ask ourselves, how does the character and nature of God affect how we think about winning the fight? And as James says, since they happen because we're selfish and God isn't, how God treats those opposed to him gives significant direction for us when we determine what the win is. As we contemplate how God operates throughout the whole of Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, with his people, uh, with followers of Jesus, even how, how he's described in this brief passage from James, if you go back and look how God is described in his relationship with us and how he treats us and what he calls us to, God wants and works for the best possible outcome. James says, as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. By the way, um, that is the proper sequence of events. A lot of times we get that backwards. People twist that and think it's supposed to be the other way around. Well, the best possible outcome for any altercation is what? If that's the character and nature of God, that's what he desires for us, that's the best possible outcome is that we draw near to him and he draws near to us. What's the best possible win for us in a fight? Well, for me, it's my enemy, you know, groveling and kneeling at my feet, you know, and and recognizing, you know, how right I am and, and how well I argue them down into submission, right? Okay, sorry, my authentic self was showing there. The best possible outcome is reconciliation. That's it. It's not, it's not to win, it's not to beat somebody down and leave them bloody and laying on the ground. It's for two parties to be able to find common ground to work toward a common good and to change what needs to be changed. To stand firm where there is a solid foundation and to move forward in relationship. So here it is. Here's the choice we make before we ever get to that moment that we make in deciding what a win looks like. We either choose to fight to be right or fight for redemption. And that's the choice that we're making every time. Whether we recognize that or not, that's the choice that we're making every time when we're in that fight. Fighting to be right, that's for my benefit. It's self-serving. And honestly, probably only briefly fulfilling because the other party can still walk away in their ignorance and will only, you know, they'll only accomplish but so much, you know, winning just to be right. But fighting for redemption, we set our pride aside, we humble ourselves in submission to God, and we seek out the opportunity for redemption. It doesn't mean that everybody's happy-go-lucky afterwards. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be follow-up actions to help repair and redeem the relationship. But it does mean you and I can be at peace knowing that we were motivated by who God is rather than who we are. And so here's how we fight for redemption. We're honest. You have to be honest. Be honest in what you have to say and think and feel, yes, absolutely. But first, be honest about why you think and feel and want to say the things that you do. 
You might find yourself, if you evaluate wisely, being able to process that the reason you are ready to fight is that you didn't get what you want. And the only difference between a three-year-old temper tantrum and adult temper tantrum is that adults don't admit it. Be honest about who you are being in the moment. Your perception is your reality. And so you've got to make some choices about how you're going to perceive things. So shape that perception around God's character. When you do, when it's time to fight for what is right, you will do so by opening the door for redemption. That's what God does with us. Listen to what the other person is saying. Um, it is really easy for me and for most people that I've been in discussions with to be thinking about my response to what I perceive the other person to be saying and figuring out how to, how to beat them down rather than actually listening to the words that they are using. Don't guess. Don't assume. Don't be crafting your response before they finish talking. Do your best to genuinely understand what that person is feeling and thinking, especially if it is a matter of opinion. It's likely that there's going to be some common, common ground to be able to build on, but we've got to be looking for that, not just how we can beat them on the ground that we're not in common on. And then we've got to choose our words carefully. This is hardest with people who are closest to us because um, we expect them to know us better. You know, the whole familiarity breeds contempt thing, and this is where we have to be, um, be really careful. But no, no one is a mind reader. Even if you've been married to someone for 17 years, right, honey? Like, I, I mean, we still, and you've known each other for, what, over 20? Yeah, it's been, man, it's been a long time, 21 years? <laughs> And, and, and she still doesn't know my Chick-fil-A order. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not true. It's, it's not true. It's not true. No one is a mind reader. And so we, we've got to actually think about what we're saying. Because a lot of times our head is moving, um, our, our mouth is moving a lot quicker than our head. And our heart is speaking when there hasn't been any filter gone through it for us to actually think about what we're saying. And those words matter because the other person, they can only respond to what you're saying, not, not just what you're feeling and what you're thinking in your head. There's nothing more frustrating when tensions are high that when we don't take care in what we say and then we're trying to explain what we meant and what we said doesn't reflect that well and then sometimes you're arguing about how you're arguing or you're talking about something else or the conversation goes in a completely uh, different direction. Take your time and you've got to breathe and you've got to choose, choose your words carefully. No one ever got out of an argument quicker by talking faster. I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful. And then lastly, just remember the goal is redemption, not just being right. Please don't misunderstand me. Being, being right matters. It, it absolutely matters. But our motivation and where that's coming from, like is that coming from us from within or is it coming from God and his foundation? That, that matters because that's going to that's gonna help direct us in whether or not we're just trying to be right or we care about redemption. Just because you and I don't get the outcome we want in the moment of the fight or quarrel, it doesn't mean that we've lost if our goal is better than just wanting to be right. In general, we have a hard time having the capacity for fighting for what's right because we often expend our energy on much more selfish pursuits. Remember what James says, hey, why do you fight in a quarrel? Because you're selfish. You argue. I mean, that's, that's the default. That's, that's probably where we should start. 
am I being selfish right now as I feel the blood pumping and the adrenaline rushing? It's what we want. It's what we're jealous of, what we don't ask God for. Um, if we don't, and if we do ask God and we don't receive, you know, may, maybe it's because we're being selfish. But if you're willing to evaluate this wisely without solely being driven by the heat of the moment, you might be able to track things back to the root of the problem and navigate how you can move forward with the other person or with the situation, whether it's just what you can do or what you can move through together. Conflict is going to happen. It's unavoidable. We're human. We're broken by sin. It will happen in our life. But if we have a shared ideal of love, peace, forgiveness, grace, and mercy based on Jesus, we can have a healthy plan moving forward to deal with it. There's a picture here for what our relationship with God is. There's an ongoing uh, cycle of love and unity that he desires us to participate with him and knowing that if we break it, it's going to create pain and consequences, and yet he steps in with grace and mercy through Jesus to take up our slack despite the conflict we create with him in the relationship. And this is why James speaks against condemnation here. Now, when he says judge, he's talking about condemning. He's not talking about good evaluation, okay? Like, judging can mean a couple different things in our culture. So sometimes people say, well, the Bible says not to judge. No, no, it doesn't. It says not to condemn, and that's, that's a little bit different. Um, he tells us not to condemn others, but leads to a better way through the conflict. And listen, even if you follow scripture perfectly in this regard, I mean, if you go through and you're pursuing redemption, every argument, conversation, quarrel that you have, it doesn't mean that everything's always going to end in a redemptive way, at least not from our perspective. I mean, sometimes we're going to have family, we're going to have friends, we're going to have coworkers where the relationship is harmed, where it changes, um, maybe seemingly, seemingly irreparably, but for our part, just like God for his part on our end, you know, we, we get to be a part of whether or not the door or the window of opportunity is left open for redemption to take place at some point. Because God's timeline is much different than our timeline. Sometimes we want it to be done right then. You know, we want to fix it. We want to do it immediately. Um, most, and most of the time when we're angry or, or that kind of thing, it's good to kind of take a breath and then, then, then deal with it. Um, but as, as far as it depends on us, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about here, not, not controlling the other people. Um, we're, we're called to follow God in this, not to carry the load, you know, of someone else in this. And we can't let the hardness of someone else's heart harden ours. God supplies an infinite pouring out of forgiveness and grace without condemnation as we follow Jesus, right? As we choose him and we point our lives in his direction. So we can't withhold that from others and from ourselves. Whatever your part may or may not be in the conflict you've experienced, make sure that you aren't forgiving yourself any less than what God has, and make sure you aren't forgiving the other person any less than what God has. That's what opens the path to redemption. The more self-righteous we are in conflict, the more egregious our hypocrisy becomes, and the more our credibility falters. There will be times, and I hate that this is the case, but there are going to be times when uh, we will need to love and forgive people, you know, after a fight or a quarrel at, at a distance. But that, that's, that's not necessarily on us, that's on, on them. And God's got that. He will take care of that. He's more than powerful enough, more than uh, uh, merciful and just enough to take, to, take care of, to take care of that for us. 
In Luke chapter 15, and I'm, I'm not going to read that, but I encourage you to do that if, if, if it's been a while since you've read it. Uh, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, in which uh, the young, uh, there's two sons, older son, young son. Young son goes to a dad and basically says, I wish you were dead because um, I, I want your money. And so the dad says, you know what? Okay, I'll, I'll give you your inheritance now. So gives the son his inheritance. The son goes away. He blows it all, as you, as you might imagine. Eventually, he comes back to his dad, kind of groveling at his feet, um, and, and he says, hey, just make me, make me one of your workers. Make me one of your servants, because they, they have a better life than what I've created for myself. And, uh, and the dad says, yeah, told you. You got exactly what you deserved. Okay, some of you know that, that's, not, that's not what he said. I mean, that's what I would say, right? If I'm being my authentic, uh, authentic self, uh, wish I'm dead, you know, see what happens to you, buddy. But his dad, not, not only does his dad welcome him back, I mean, his dad was on the front porch waiting for him and runs out to meet him because the door for redemption was open. They have a party for him and, and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of times we, you know, we look at, at, at the younger son, but I mean, may we not be the older son? Because the older son says, hey, I've been doing what's right all my life. Where's my party? Where's my stuff? His dad is like, you'll get all that when I'm dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's a Rob paraphrase. But, but in the meantime, like, let's celebrate that what was lost is now, is now found. You know, we, we are in a position, because of our sin, to be an enemy of God. I mean, there, there's a quarrel, there's a fight that God completely justified has with us as, as sinners. I mean, what, and yet what does he does, do with that? He sends Jesus. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take care of both sides of the equation here. I'm going to do your part and my part, because you, you can't even do, do your part. And that's, that's, who he calls us, that's who he calls us to model when it comes to our relationships with others. As a, as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us uh, to, to be able to do this. And the choice that we make in the moment, either to fight to be right or fight for redemption, isn't one that we just make for that moment and for that argument, but it's one that we make for an eternity. Because that's the perspective that God calls us to have in those moments. We aren't going to be the ones that create the redemption. God does that. But for our side, our part, we create the opportunity just as God has done through his son, Jesus. And some may choose to be enemies. But it won't be because of us when we choose God over ourselves. So when you get into a fight this week, <laughs> because it's going to happen, or may, maybe this month, or at some point in the future, or maybe you're in the middle of one right now, I, I, I want to ask you at some point today, take a moment to judge whether or not you're just trying to be right, or you're pursuing redemption for that relationship. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to, to pause and evaluate and just kind of uh, look at our life through the lens of Scripture. Uh, fighting is, is something that, you know, quarreling, arguing, uh, it, it is a prevalent part of our culture. Um, it, it is a uh, popular way through which to view our world. Um, it is a popular way through which to uh, express ourselves. And God, help us, to, help us to see a better way. Help us to see where our motivations are really coming from. Is it coming from within, from our own selfish desires and our heart that we've cultivated, or is it coming from you and the Holy Spirit, how you're changing our lives because of what Jesus has done to change our eternity?
God, we ask for your grace and your mercy and your justice in this to point us to a better way, um, to help uh, stop us spiritually, uh, supernaturally through your grace and your mercy in that moment where we feel the blood pumping and the adrenaline rising um, to, to stop and think and evaluate which direction we are going to take this fight for our, on our side, whether, it's not, whether or not it's just going to be to try to be right or uh, to try to redeem the situation. God, we praise you. We thank you. Um, we, we glorify you. We honor you for how you have uh, redeemed us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.